And welcome back to another episode of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is a podcast where we take a look at the issues that go on in this world and we discuss them through a biblical perspective. I'm Son Edom alongside Dan Delzell. Dan is a pastor at Redeemer Church in Papillion, Nebraska, also an author whose articles appear at the ChristianPost.com. And Dan, you recently wrote an article that was on the Christian Post, and it was entitled, How to Know Christianity is True. And I think that that's something that kind of rings true today because a lot of people are looking for just truth. You know, what is truth? I mean, we hear so many things going on with the vaccines. Um, first it was you get the vaccine to not get COVID, and then you get the vaccine. So you, when you do get COVID, the symptoms aren't so bad. Then it's like you need a booster shot. Now the World Health Organization is trying to rein in people from getting booster shots. Apparently that came out today. And so anyways, the point is there's just a lot of information that you know contradicts other information that we receive in this world. And it's easy to pick, you know, the COVID example because there is so much misinformation, so much flip-flopping going back and forth. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. If you're vaccinated, don't wear a mask. Now you have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated indoors. Now everybody should just wear a mask all the time. And so we get all this stuff. And so truth is really at the forefront of now anything that we do in our daily lives. Do we believe this? Do we believe that? Is this true? Should we believe what this source has to say? Obviously, the news has credibility issues. You know, you look at something, for example, like CNN and, you know, uh, the governor of New York just came out with some pretty big uh, or had some pretty big allegations just level against him. And, of course, his brothers on CNN and they don't mention it at all. And so, again, you know, when you're looking for sources of information and you're looking for sources of truth that's out there. People are searching, people are questioning, people are wanting to know, and oftentimes they will just kind of pick and choose what they want to hear based on what they believe and what they feel. And when it comes to Christianity and religions, too, that's another area that people have a hard time really believing truth, really believing what is true, how can I believe this, how do I know this is the right thing to follow, how do I know that what I'm doing isn't wasting my time and I'm going to end up someplace I don't want to be after I die. And, you know, you can take a look at that with all the different religions. What people believe, they've got specific reasons why they think their religion is true. Some of it could be because it's a a family, you know, like a lot of the uh, Latin countries with uh, Catholicism. You know, it's a family thing. So that's one reason why they believe it's true. In other areas, it could just be the fact that they had an experience with somebody and that experience with that person with that religion went well and so they believe that that's to be true and so there's a lot of things out there that people are buying into people are believing people are trusting with their soul and their thoughts and it's how do we know these things are true and so for people that are believers christians you know we know that it comes through the holy spirit and yet still people have a hard time believing that and especially in america today with all the nuttiness that's going on in the church today as a whole How do we really know that Christianity is true and how can we believe what is there that we can actually look at? And when people ask us, how do we, how do you know Christianity is true? You know, what are some of the things that we can um, tell them, you know, address them and stuff like that. So I thought that's kind of what we could talk about based on the article that you have in the uh, ChristianPost.com, how to know Christianity is true. 
Yeah, you know, son, I really appreciate this opportunity once again for us to get to talk about something that is such an important issue. And as you say, it is something that many people wonder about uh, in, a, in a day when, uh, you know, like you were giving the examples. I mean, you, you, you hear so many things about masks and about vaccines and, and, you know, you don't know what to believe on some of those things. Uh, and then when we enter the realm of, of religion and, and, and especially, you know, the Christian faith, um, you know, how, how can you know that Christianity is true? So that's why I wrote the article. And, and, um, what I really used as kind of a, a Kickstarter there to the, to the whole topic was, um, was a quote from uh, William Lane Craig, who's a very gifted and, and a highly intelligent Christian apologist. Um, and I mean, just very well respected. Christian, um, you know, witness, uh, to, for the gospel and, and, uh, you know, he's authored or edited over, you know, 30 books, uh, almost 200 articles, uh, have been published, uh, there in professional philosophy and theology journals. Uh, in fact, uh, in 2016, the best schools named him uh, among the 50 most influential living philosophers. So very well respected, very sound, uh, doctrinally. Um, uh, but, but I used a quote that he had, some uh, from back in 2016, and and I uh, I also you know found him commenting on this in some other places, but I use this particular quote um, which was consistent with where he talked about it elsewhere, um, and it was during a question and answer session uh, at a church in Peoria, Illinois, and William Lane Craig said that he the fundamental distinction between knowing Christianity to be true and showing Christianity to be true. Uh, and then he said, I think that the fundamental way in which we know Christianity is true is through the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And then he quoted Romans eight sixteen uh, to really make his case there. And that verse says the spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so I use that to kind of get the uh, the article off and running. And I even said that, you know, I, I'm quite surprised that William Lane Craig, you know, points to the Spirit's inner witness as the fundamental way he knows Christianity is true. And, um, you know, and then I, I kind of go on from there. And I, I kind of begin by just saying we would have really expected him to, to point to something um, outside of himself, you know, something objective, you know, as compared to that subjective experience uh, him and every believer, you know, because every believer has the Holy Spirit living within us. But this, this, um, this witness, this inner witness of the Spirit, it's it, it's not something that is you know, outside of us, it's not objective. Like, for example, son, you know, what Jesus did on the cross 2000 years ago, um, that's a place we can look and, and place faith in that. We can place faith in the promises of the gospel that are outside of us. They, they've been given to us by, by God. They, you know, John three sixteen, the most familiar passage in the Bible, that is the gospel, but that's outside of us. Um, now, now the Lord comes to live within us when we accept that message, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. But but the point that I make throughout the article, and I know that we'll, what, what we'll be talking about here today in this podcast is, um, you know, how how to know Christianity is true. And so um, that kind of gets things started in the article. And then from there, I, I lay out how I know that Christianity is true and, and how, you know, anyone can know that Christianity is true. And so that's, uh, that's how I... Um, 
you know, just kind of referred to that quote from William Lane Craig and, 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 and took it from there. You know, sometimes it's difficult for people just out there in general when we talk religion and we talk about like an inner experience and inner feeling because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are searching for enlightenment. They're searching for revelation. They're searching for something that the world and these worldly religions will say it's inside you. So you should go and meditate and then you should go on this trip and experience life because then you'll seek or what you're seeking you will find. And it's all this like me doing it. So like the first thing that came to mind when you were talking about the cautionary tale of what William Lane Craig was saying was that, you know, is there people thinking that it's an inner enlightenment? Is it like something I have to do within, within me? And like you said, the opposite Mm. is, you know, we look at the cross first and then we can know that the cross is real. And then from there, believe the Holy spirit comes and then we get, you know, that satisfaction and knowing that Christianity is true and what I'm believing is right. But the other thing too, is that, you know, when you're talking about, uh, the different religions and knowing which one is true, for example, as we start the conversation, you know, it's, it's, it's hard pressed to understand that somebody is out there looking, seeking, and there's a lot of people that, you know, believe that God exists and they say they believe in God, but then when you press them a little bit further, their belief isn't really one of a biblical belief. It's something that is just like out there. And so when you talk to people nowadays, especially you know, in America, where the the church is so uh, divided and different and comes from all these different angles, just because somebody says, God, I believe in God, doesn't necessarily mean that we're believing in the same God, because there is right. such a difference. And so, you know, I think maybe uh, in this case, William Lane Craig, you know, maybe the context of, you know, who he's talking to, maybe is different, I don't know. But it's just like, sometimes when like you and I talk, we kind of have an understanding that I know, mm-hmm what your faith is about and what it is and what you believe, you know what mine is. So we can have a conversation because we have an understanding, but when I'm out there in the, in the world and I'm talking to somebody and they mention God, my ears perk up, but then I'm not automatically assuming it's a biblical belief in God because there's so many people out there that I've known and talked to that throw God out there in the conversation, have a true belief in God. But then when Mm -hmm. you, pursue it a little further in the conversation it's not really a god of biblical proportions it's more of an inner god and so that's why the first thing that stuck out was you know this inner experience that can be quite confusing for a lot of people when you talk about that especially when you compare it to some of the other religions and the enlightenment and things like that that come up in those uh beliefs oh absolutely son you know you make an excellent point and you know there are plenty of folks in the new age movement who will point to their religious experiences i mean you you have people who worship angels who who have had some some very mystical religious experiences i i think we're we're, we're treading on some very thin ice if if we um attempt to make too many uh conclusions based on a religious experience, based on spiritual experience. He was as meticulous in his thinking as William Lane Craig. I was very surprised that he um, points to that inner witness of the Spirit as the fundamental way in which we know Christianity is true. Um, you know, one, one of the things that comes to mind when you talk about these you know, enlightened uh, experiences that people have. Um, I mean, I, I think about a very popular religious group, um, the Mormon church, and, and, and they 
teach their people that, you know, they're going to know they have the truth in Mormonism when they have a warm, burning sensation in their bosom. And, and there have been many Mormons who've testified, well, I, you know, I've had that. And so I know, you know, that we have the truth. Um, this is just terribly dangerous because um, what what happens then, like in the case of, of, of the Mormon doctrines, you take the Book of Mormon, um, you, you take what they believe about God. Um, now, they have every right to, de- to deny the Trinity, which they do. They have every right to teach that Jesus is a created being, which he isn't. Um, they have every right to teach, ultimately, a system of works-based salvation, which that's not how salvation is given out. They have that, when I say they have that right, um, you know, they, they, they have that that freedom. God gives man free will. Um, I'm not saying that pleases God. Uh, you know, when Joseph Smith came along a couple hundred years ago, and all of a sudden now he thought he was the enlightened one because he had this 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 vision. You know, he uh, and and it involved this angel Moroni and these golden tablets. I mean, you you talk about um, a uh, an experience that was not grounded in Christianity. It was not grounded in the truth. Um, it did not provide anything helpful to Christianity. In fact, it came up with a whole new religion. And, and and what really is, um, you know, very disingenuous of the leaders of that organization is the way they tell their people, well, you know, when you go out door to door, just tell people that you're Christians, you know, um, well, they know very well that they do not believe what what Christianity has taught for 2,000 years about the nature of God, you know, three persons in one God, as we find that in Scripture. Um, they, 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 they do not teach um, salvation by grace through faith. They may use the word faith, but they redefine it. They redefine faith to include your works. And so, um, you know, we, we could devote a whole podcast, obviously, or more than one, you know, to just why Christianity and Mormonism are so different and why every Christian denomination does not accept their teaching as being Christian. It's not because, you know, you know, people want to be mean uh, or, or um, you know, the, the people, uh, you know, want to make uh, the Mormons, you know, people look bad or anything like that. It comes down to truth. It comes down to doctrine. The Bible lays out the biblical doctrine. And, and, and by the way, William Lane Craig is a very sound, um, biblical, uh, you know, Christian and apologist. Uh, you know, I, I've never seen anything in any of his stuff that um, comes anywhere close to being, um, you know, heretical or anything like that. I mean, the, the Mormon doctrines are not even, uh, they're just so bizarre. Uh, you know, the Book of Mormon is is not in any way compatible with the Bible. Um, uh, and again, that's not to knock how nice Mormons are. Um, William Lane Craig, on the other hand, is a Christian. Now, what, what I was taking a little bit of issue with there is just in using that more as kind of a starting point, a jumping off point, was, was that um, I don't believe that Scripture teaches that the fundamental way that we know Christianity is true is because of the inner witness of the Spirit. Even though I have no doubt that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within William Lane Craig, um, I, I have no doubt based on Scripture that the Holy Spirit is not dwelling within a person who denies the Trinity, as Mormon doctrine does, or who tries to earn their way to heaven, as, as Mormons are, uh, because that's what they're taught. 
Um, even though they might use the word faith, that's what they're taught. They have every right to teach that. They have every right to believe that, you know, millions, if not billions of people in the world are trying to earn their way to heaven. You could say it's the most popular religion in the world. Um, I mean, it doesn't go by just one name though. You you could call it, if it was going to go by one name, I'd probably call it son, uh, works righteousness. You know, works righteousness is that I'm, I'm, I'm working my way to heaven, which is what Mormons are attempting to do. William, William Lane Craig is not doing that. Uh, he understands the gospel. He's a Christian. He, he professes that faith in Christ very, very clearly. Um, but, but the, the, the point that he makes about knowing Christianity to be true, um, the, the way I know Christianity is true is, is, is because um, the Lord has shown me and millions of other believers um, that, um, that, that we can trust him, we can trust the gospel. And when we receive Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit came to live within us. And as, as I point out in the article then, um, I, I, I quote the passage in 1 John, which, which describes what we're given there when, um, when we were saved. And John wrote, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. The anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So the Holy One there in that passage is Christ. Um, the anointing refers to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the author of what I call sanctified reason, which as you and I and the listeners know, um, that's the name of your podcast, you know, sanctified reason. Um, and, and that basically is just describing um, the fact that we have been given discernment to, to know things and we know them because God's word says it, but God gives us this assurance from the word, you know, that it's true. So the way that I know I'm saved is, is not primarily because of the inner witness of the Holy Spirit within me, although I, I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I wouldn't be saved without the Holy Spirit. He, he is equal to the Father and, and to Jesus. Um, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Um, but his work on the inside of me is a subjective uh, experience in terms of this inner witness, in terms of this, you know, the spirit testifying with my spirit that I'm God's child. Um, where I find my primary source of confidence and even certainty is in the word of God, the promises of the gospel. And this sanctified reason um, allows me not just to believe that I'm saved, but to actually know that I'm saved. And so the, the, the key point I make in the article, Son, is that, you know, which comes first, faith in Christ or the certainty that Christianity is true? And I point out that faith in Christ comes first, because prior to that, the highest we can, the highest level we can get to is, is however far our human uh, intellect and, and, and natural, you know, human reason will take us. And that's, that's going to hit a ceiling uh, because the Bible says the man without the spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. And they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So spiritual discernment and sanctified reason are essentially the same things. Um, you're given that, this anointing, when you come to faith in Christ. And, and then John writes uh, in, in 1 John 5, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know 
that you have eternal life. So, so, so watch the order there. I write these things to you who believe so that you may know. Now, having said that, uh, you know, I point out in the article that um, we cannot necessarily say that a professing believer who has doubts about uh, his or her salvation or doubts about the Bible, um, we can't we can't necessarily say that, well, that person is just certainly not a Christian. Um, D.L. Moody said it said it best. He said, faith is the root and assurance is the flower. Faith is the root. And so what's even more important than the strength of our faith is the object of our faith. And this is what places Mormonism outside of Christianity. This is what places other religions outside of Christianity. I mean, I mean, you know, what, what, what Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist is going to argue that, that, that their religion is, is not um, within Christianity? I mean, you might have some New Age people, you know, some folks in America here who, who they, they, like, they, they like the way that feels to them to be able to say that all these religions worship the same God. But you know what? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that these religions contradict one another. Uh, they worship different deities. They, they have different paths to, to paradise. Um, I mean, they're, they're completely contradictory uh, in, 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 in some just key areas that it's impossible for, for them. I mean, a person could try to argue that none of them are true. Uh, or you can argue that one of them are true, but you can't argue that all of them are true. Not, not, not to be, you know, logical. Um, but, but, but the only way you're going to come to know that Christianity is true is, is to come to faith in Christ. Now, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, we don't want to put forth some good arguments uh, for the Bible. I mean, I, I make reference in my in that article to uh, another article I wrote uh, back in 2013 called The Mathematical Proof for Christianity is Irrefutable, in which I, I, I look at the statistical probability of getting you know, just eight prophecies fulfilled in one person. And here Jesus fulfilled like 300 of them. I mean, so I look at the mathematical probability based on that, those historical events, which, which we, we have historical evidence that, that these things happen. We have historical evidence that, you know, for example, um, you know, Micah uh, would, would, would write down the prophet Micah, um, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he wrote down that, you know, the savior was going to come out of Bethlehem. And so when Jesus, this was born in that town of a thousand, you know, 2000 years ago. Um, you know, I mean, by the way, Jewish scholars, um, they, they've always throughout history. I mean, known the importance of Bethlehem. And, and, and so it's just, it's just mind blowing that you would have any Jewish individual today that would not just be so grateful and, and thrilled with that link between, um, Yeshua, Jesus, um, the Messiah and the birth in Bethlehem. Uh, that's a whole other issue, but it's it's just to say that there is there is a lot of historical evidence for the bible and there is this statistical evidence for the bible that it's it's impossible you know that it didn't come from god but even then um it still is going to take a step of faith to enter the realm of salvation forgiveness and sanctified reason and it's only in that realm then son that that i really uh, believe a person can then come to know for for certain um that that christianity is true and i'll tell you the apostle paul who had been a persecutor of christians when he was Saul of tarsus um he he came to know beyond a shadow of a doubt the lord used him to write you know uh, so many of these you know epistles in, in the new testament um paul knew for a fact that god justifies uh, 
um, the man who has faith in Jesus. That's just one of Paul's many uh, passages in the book of Romans. Um, Paul knew it. Um, he was confident of it. Um, he had sanctified reason. And, and the last thing I'll say on that side for right now is that it's interesting that 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 verse that William Lane Craig quotes, that's in Romans chapter eight. You know, that's one sentence in the eighth chapter. And it just would seem extremely odd to me if 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 the inner witness of the spirit is indeed to be the primary way in which we know that Christianity is true. Why wouldn't Paul have really articulated that in, in the earlier chapters where he spelled out so clearly, meticulously, man's sinfulness and God's plan of salvation through faith? So, you know, I, I wasn't taking, you know, issue with with William Lane Craig in terms of his 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 faith in Christ or his biblical you know doctrines or his ministry. I mean, all of those things are wonderful. But but on this one point here, um, I found it very interesting that he pointed to what he did, and I think it, you know I saw it as an opportunity to really address this issue from what I really believe is the biblical approach. How can you know Christianity is true? Well, if, if you're only using your human intellect, your human reason, um, if you're not yet converted, you do not yet have sanctified reason. You do not yet have the anointing. Uh, you don't have the Holy Spirit living within you. So, um, you know, you might be able to look at even that mathematical evidence and the historical evidence and even the evidence for the resurrection, you know, which is just overwhelming. Um, but at the end of the day, to know for sure um, I, I believe you really have to be saved. You have to come to faith in Christ. You have to place your faith in, in, in Jesus rather than in your works. Then you receive the anointing. Then you receive forgiveness. Then you receive sanctified reason. Then I, um, I, I know that just based on, on the, you know, the evidence of, of millions of Christians who without hesitation would say, Hey, I mean, I don't just believe in Jesus as my savior. You know, I know this is true. So, so that's, that's kind of the, the issue, I guess, we're addressing. And, but it also is, as we're seeing here, it, 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 it reaches out to some other, you know, key doctrines and different faith groups and, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. You know, a lot of times uh, when it comes to Christianity or other religions, there's like, we've talked about that emotional feeling, you know, you go to church camp, you have that emotional high. So now you're on fire. Then you come down from the mountain and you get back into your regular routine of life and then that fire kind of diminishes. And so whenever you're dealing with something of an emotional high or with emotions, you're going to have a lot of ebb and flow of what you think and believe because the emotion is driving what your thought process is. You write here that um, sanctified reason involves belief, which is something that is you know solidified. If we have a solid belief in something or belief, should be at a core of whatever it is we're believing in and should not waver based on emotion, but it involves belief, knowledge, and spiritual insight into God's word and his promises. It's a work of the Holy Spirit through the word, and it comes about as a result of an outer witness. And then you go on to write that sanctified reason allows you to know things you would otherwise have no way of knowing or understanding. And so I think that's probably the key right there is that, you know, unless we have this belief, unless we have the ability to seek out the knowledge and to have the spiritual insight, we're not going to be able to understand any of this really, which leads me then to ask you, you know, in this day and age with the emotions that are going on in second Timothy, it talks about that there will be a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. That's 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, starting at verse 3. And so what I see today is kind of a merging of what you wrote with a merging of what 2 Timothy says. You've got people who, first of all, aren't using their sanctified reason. They don't have the knowledge and the understanding, or if they did at one time, they're now losing it and going to hear more of what their ears want to hear. And here's an example. So, uh, you know, just over a year ago, I guess during the riots of 2020, I was having a conversation with somebody, Christian person, and we were talking about the correct way to approach um, social justice. Obviously, you know, at the time, Los Angeles, where I was at, was burning. Other places were burning as well. Innocent people were losing their businesses, and it was just a wreck. People were getting hurt. You know, police officers were getting assaulted. You know, there was an image uh, that's etched in my brain of a white woman yelling and screaming at a black, uh, black police officer in the name of Black Lives Matter, you know? And so all reason has gone out. But I'm talking to this person, and I'm saying, what would be better? Because they were pro-protest. They, they, were, they supported the protest. And I simply asked the question, what would be more productive, you think, in the grand scheme of things? If we had 10,000 people on their knees earnestly praying to God for change, or 10,000 people in the streets protesting, rioting, and burning things down and grabbing their pair of sneakers and new TV on the way. And they couldn't honestly answer it. They said that, oh, I think we need both. And I'm like, I tried to push it a little bit. I'm like, why do we need both? Because if we have 10,000 people literally in conviction praying to God, wouldn't that be more uh, of, a, of a first choice thing for believers? I'm not talking about non-believers, but for believers to go to God first than to hit the streets and do what the world's doing? And literally, this person could not answer that thought. We need both. Thought we need both, and was struggling with the idea of you know social justice and this and that. And I thought that was kind of odd. And that got me started to kind of open my ears to other people and what they were thinking and what they were believing. And it got me then eventually to Second Timothy, where you know people, someone someone said it's like this: I want to be on the right side of history, so I'm going to go out there and protest. I want to be on the right side of this, so it's like they're being followed a by emotion. And then B, they're not really wanting to stick with the doctrine of what Jesus and the Bible says, and they're starting to follow people, whoever it might be out there, whether it be in the Twitter world or whether it be you know, somebody else, they're trying to follow these people because this is what they truly want. They don't want to follow the doctrine of what the Bible says. And in fact, if you really follow what the Bible said, a lot of the issues in this world would actually go away. But I just find that kind of interesting how you know a lot of people are looking for that emotion to drive their theology, and then they're turning to people that don't have sound doctrine, and therefore sanctified reason is not being used in these instances. Yes, Son, you know, it's interesting because you've used a couple words a number of times, and I think you're exactly right. You've been comparing the difference between what our emotions might be saying to us and then what doctrine has to say to us. And one is subjective, you know, the emotions inside of us, and then the inner witness of the Spirit, those are subjective experiences. Uh, the Holy Spirit is an objective reality. He is the third person of the Trinity. Um, the inner witness of the Spirit, however, is a subjective experience, and doctrine is objective. So you made reference to what I called in that article, the outer witness. So I pointed to the gospel message as an outer witness. Um, you know, rather than, you know, looking inside yourself to know for sure if Christianity is true, 
I look to the gospel. I look to that promise from God. Um, it's impossible for God to lie. And having received the gospel by faith, I've come to know for a fact, as have millions of Christians, that, that it's true. Now, if you have a Christian who says, well, I believe in Jesus as my Savior, and, and, and I believe the gospel, and you know, to be honest with you, about 10% of me has some doubts about it still, I would not question that person's faith in Christ. I mean, you know, even if you have a small faith, if you're hanging on to the Savior, you're still saved by Christ. So it's, it's not the strength of your faith, um, but I would encourage that person to meditate on the promises of God, and their faith will grow. You know, faith comes from hearing the message. But, 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 but what we need to do, I believe, and I believe scripture teaches us this, look outside yourself to God's promises, look outside yourself to the cross where Jesus died 2000 years ago and rest there. Don't rest on what you're sensing going on inside of you. Now, I believe the inner witness of the spirit is certainly an authentic biblical experience. Uh, I believe it's a beautiful experience. Um, uh, I, I believe it's something that, that is a, a confirmation, if you will, of our faith. But, but it is not, I do not believe, the fundamental way that, that we can come to know that Christianity is true. I think God has given us that outer witness. That, that's there first. You know, what Christ did on the cross— that's an outer witness. That, that, that's a, a stake in the ground, literally, that, that, that you can pin your hopes on and your faith on. You can, you, can, you can go there and believe that and be sure of your salvation. You can go to the, you know, John 3, 16 and, and be sure of that. So, so that's the difference between, you know, having the primary source of your certainty be uh, an inner witness or an outer witness. And, and I think the Bible points us to that outer witness as the primary source of, of that certainty. You know, when you take a look at what it is that we need to remember when we talk about these things, because a lot of times, you know, when you're an athlete, you know, I've been kind of watching some of the uh, Olympics, not a whole lot, but some of the Olympics, especially some of the events that might not get primetime television and some of the events that might actually have people that have been, you know, working hard, for example, like the field events. You know, we don't see much about the hammer throw or the discus or the javelin and some of these things. Uh, you know, they're not really the prime time events that draw. You know, they're definitely not the Team USA that gets all the headlines and the publicities before they take the field. And, it, and it's listening, and the, and, the, and the anchors or the announcers that are covering some of these events aren't from the United States. You can tell they're not by their uh, verbiage that they use, the references that they use, comparisons, you know, they use. For example, I was watching Discus, and it was raining. And here in America, if you watch baseball, you know that when it rains, you cover the mound with a tarp. But they were referring to covering it like a, a, a cricket pitch or something, you know. So they were making references mm. to international, you know, things, which gave it kind of a refreshing look because their perspective on these athletes was something different. But one thing that you would hear from them is like, okay, let's say there was a, an errant throw or the athlete did something wrong. The comment would be, let's go back to basics. You know, the, okay, the athlete's going to have to figure out what went wrong, get back to basics get back to the fundamentals of whatever it is that they were doing in order to correct what went wrong and get a better throw, better result, and hopefully, you know, as they march toward the medal, maybe a medal and get a better medal. 
And so anyway, so when you start to think about some of these things, it's oftentimes where, especially with Christianity, we might get so far afield that we're, you know, off the playing field that we need to get back to the fundamentals. We need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to what we originally were grounded in and then rebuild from there so that way we don't get far field and get off the playing field and into these other places that second timothy is talking about where we start to believe and seek out what our ears want to hear rather than true doctrine and so when we get back to kind of the basics of what we're talking about here you know you mentioned that you know salvation is purchased on the outside and so the one thing we have to remember getting back to the basics is the cross you know the cross is kind of where it starts for us on the the visual perspective the outer perspective because jesus died on the cross for our sins and then from there, he goes to the grave, resurrects, conquers death. And so the first thing I think we have to remember to do is, is the cross. The cross is there for a reason. Now, it's, it's there not to remind us that Jesus died, but it's there to remind us that he conquered death and saved us from our sins. And so to get back to basics, we need to start with, with the simplicity of the cross and what that means to us, and that is Jesus died on the cross so that he could save us from our sins, and all we have to do is accept that and believe, and we will be saved. Yes, and that is the outer witness, isn't it, Son? I mean, that's looking outside of ourselves. That is looking to what God has done for us. And, and, and because that is a fixed, objective point that God points us to look at, just like in the Old Testament when, um, you know, the Israelites had been bitten by the poisonous snakes and, and, and uh, they were told to look up to the, you know, the serpent on the pole and they would, they would live. And that represented Christ. Um, in fact, Jesus even, uh, even referred to that in, in the third chapter of John. Um, that was a beautiful picture of, of looking outside yourself. Um, you know, in that, in that great chapter on salvation that has, you know, John three sixteen in it. I mean, it's, it, 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 you know, we could probably be argued to be the, the, the greatest gospel chapter in the whole Bible. I, I mean, God, you know, God gave us the gospel already in Genesis, uh, right, right, right off the bat there. We were told, you know, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, that was the first, um, really the, the, the first, clear gospel promise, uh, of course, you know, many years before Christ would come. Uh, but in the New Testament, we see so many references to uh, to the gospel. And, and what Jesus said in John three fourteen was just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus did not point people to look inside themselves, um, to believe in something inside yourself. And, 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 and I know that that's not what, you know, William Lane Craig is doing. He's, he's not saying look inside yourself and believe that to be saved. No, but what, what, what he's saying is if you want the certainty that Christianity is true, um, then he's saying, you know, look at that inner witness. Well, I think Jesus pointed people, and when we see it right there in John, John 3, he pointed people to look, to look outside yourself, to what God has done for us. And I have to say, I find that to be very comforting because I'm I'm very thankful, Son, that the Lord, I, I don't find the Lord telling us in Scripture, find 
that salvation inside of you, um, and then you can be sure, um, you know, based on certain feelings or certain witness of the Spirit, or maybe, um, you know, a certain level of righteous living in your life. I mean, there are a lot of people that do that, you know. They, 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 they focus so much on, 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 on their life, and we should focus on our life, and we sh- God takes it very seriously. But, but some people, they, they, they get off base because they're looking for the certainty of their salvation so much in their life that they're not they're not looking at the right place and looking at God's promises. Now, now, granted, if, if a person is just living a, a, a deliberately wicked, sinful life, I mean, the Bible makes it very clear that that, that such a person um, is it, not a is not a Christian. You know, um, if you're sowing to please the sinful nature, um, in other words, if that's just the aim of your life, you want to live for sin rather than for Christ. Um, you you cannot really say I'm a Christian. I mean that. That doesn't square with scripture. Um, but, but by the same token, I, I think what some very conscientious people end up doing is they get so microscopic on their, on their, um, their life that, you know, if they mess up here, mess up there, now all of a sudden, you know, they, their faith, you know, goes way down in terms of um, their, their certainty of salvation. Well, I must not be saved, you know. Well, okay, uh, look to Christ, believe in Christ, and, and you know, the, the, the biggest sign that you're saved is that you're relying upon the cross to save you and, and his blood to save you. Um, but, but another thing, if you're concerned that maybe your life isn't squaring up with scripture, all right, um, then those are areas that God wants to, to help you in. But, but I guess I would ask a person like that this question, do you want to live for Christ? Because see, the believer can say, yes, I want to live for Christ uh, because we're a new creation. Now, if that person says to me, no, I just kind of want to have that ticket to heaven, um, but, but I really want to live for sin. That's where my heart's at. That's my desire. That's my focus. That's my intention. Then, then what I would say to that person in Christian love is, um, well, it certainly doesn't sound like you're a Christian, because if you were born again, saved, redeemed, justified, and forgiven, um, you would not be a sinner running after sin, chasing after it. You'd be a sinner running from sin. Now, that doesn't mean you you, you don't still have issues that, that are problem areas, you know, uh, and, and, and areas, uh, you know, that, that you're having a difficult time in. Um, I mean, we all experience that in, in the Christian life, but, but the key is is who do you want to be? Because the real you is who you want to be. And, and for the believer in Jesus, we not only are able to say my salvation was won for me outside of myself, and I'm trusting in what Jesus did there, but we're also able to say, um, I genuinely want to live for the Lord. Um, you know, I still struggle with sin. You know, that like Paul said in Romans 7, the good that I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. But, but, but that doesn't mean you're not saved, and nor does it mean you have to constantly feel like, well, maybe I'm not saved because I I messed up here. So what I would point a person to is more their motive um, than than uh, always the outcome. I mean, because God's going to work on the outcome. But if that motive is a mess, uh, then I think about Hebrews. You know, for example, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of, of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. In other words, we have to be careful with, with premeditated sin. Uh, I'm not saying that we as Christians never have any premeditated 
premeditated sin. But anyone who's a Christian knows that premeditated sin is far more damaging to your relationship with God than, let's say, a hasty sin, something that pops up, you know, in the spur of the moment. Um, I mean, both both are damaging. Uh, both are, are, you know, evil in God's eyes. But but the, the individual who is 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 aiming their life at, at just sin, not, not just one sin here, one sin there, but I mean, just more in general, even, um, you know, living for sin. I mean, this is why when the Bible gives that list in First Corinthians 6 uh, of the people who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, like, you know, idolaters and adulterers and, 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 and swindlers and the whole list, um, the Bible says, and that Paul wrote, that is what some of you were. But but you were washed, you were justified, you know, you were sanctified, you were glorified. Um, in, in other words, those labels no longer um, fit you as a believer. And, and the believer might respond, well, but I still struggle with that, this sin or that sin. Well, who do you want to be? Okay, and, and the believer then can say, well, I, I don't want to commit sin. I don't want to commit those sins. I don't want to commit any other sin. And, and so then, you know, the Bible would come along and say, well, you don't have to wear that label. God's not putting that label on you. Um, you know, now, if you're an unbeliever, then it would be appropriate to wear that label. Um, but but let, let's just say you've got a Christian who struggles with um, committing the sin of slander. Okay, so is that Christian a slanderer? Well, biblically, no, if, if they, they don't want to, they don't want to commit that sin. They don't want to commit any sin. No, biblically, they're not. They're, you know, they may be a Christian who struggles with that and, and is resisting that. As compared to the person, that's just, you know, that's just what they're aiming to do. Um, you know, if a person said, well, you know, w- would you rather, um, you know, stop slandering or or would you rather, uh, you know, just excuse me, continue doing it? And, and, and for the person who says, well, I'm just going to keep doing it, um, they're, they're, they're pretty much identifying that that's their identity. We hear a lot today about, you know, your identity. Um, as Christians, our identity is now to be found in Christ. But that doesn't mean we don't have areas in our life where, where the Lord is, is still working on us and working with us and, and trying to lead us out of some dirt place where, you know, we're making a trip to the basement room of our soul, to that sinful nature with, with a particular thought pattern that we have or something in our life um, that maybe we fall back into repeatedly. Um, but we're never happy there. We're never at peace there. Um, a Christian, a new creation in Christ will not be content if they're committing a sin and especially if, if they know that it, it's sinful, you know, now, now if a person doesn't know it's sinful, then um, there, there's no doubt that, you know, the Lord's going to try to get that information to them so that they, you know, they, they stop doing whatever it is that's grieving the Holy Spirit. I'm sure we've all done that far more than we realize in areas, you know, especially as we've grown in the Lord, let's say, but we've done that in areas where maybe we knew, maybe we didn't know, but we were grieving the Holy Spirit and um, there's just no peace there. So the Lord calls us up to the upper levels of, of our soul not down in the basement room, um, not where we used to maybe just hang out uh, there, uh, just giving into sin, but now resisting it, asking the Lord for strength, asking God to forgive us. I mean, we still fall short, uh, make no mistake about it, but um, we have a new direction. We have new management. Jesus is now on the throne of our heart. It's no longer I, it's no longer self. Um, and anytime self tries to get back up there, um, that's when the Bible comes along and says, wait a minute, you need to say no to that guy. Um, no to those un- ungodly desires and worldly passions. Um, and so any trips that we make son down to the basement room of our soul, we make the- those all alone. The Lord doesn't go down there with us. You know, the Holy spirit doesn't go down there with us. Um, God's not going to, God's not going to be a part of any sinful decisions that we make or sinful 
words or sinful thoughts. And, and, and we would be wise to really ask the Lord to help us stay out of the basement. You know, because um, we have been set free from sin, meaning we don't have to go down there anymore. Um, Jesus is now in the living room with us. Um, The Holy Spirit's in us. You know, Um, we don't have to go down there. And so our identity now is different. Our identity is in Christ. And uh, doesn't mean we don't have a ton more to learn. Doesn't mean we don't still have areas of our life that that, um, the Lord is going to work on because we're still a mess in this area or that area. Or maybe this particular speech pattern we have or thought pattern we have or behavior that we have. And so, um, uh, you know, Christians aren't perfect, but we're forgiven. And but we also have been given a new heart. And, and it's not a heart that loves sin anymore. And, and the heart that loves sin needs to really, um, really ask himself or herself, can I honestly say I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Christ, if I love, if, if I want to sin, if I want to sin. Now, in the basement room, sure. I mean, we could all give in to any, any sin uh, down there, even as Christians, if we gave into it. But, but is that what we want? So everybody has to a- ask the answer the question, what do I want? And, um, you know, the person who, who is with the Lord and has the Lord in them is going to want to live for the Lord, even if they're in the midst of, you know, say a real big time of temptation or struggle or whatever it might be. But the Lord says, come on, let, let's hang out up here in these upper levels and let's not go down there anymore. Yeah, it comes down to, too, also uh, another kind of simple thing, I think, that can help people remember is the fact over feelings. You know, we get uh, oftentimes, like you mentioned, you know, we get lost in our feelings or our feelings this, our feelings that, our feelings get hurt, or I feel good today, or I don't feel like uh, God loves me. I don't feel like I'm a Christian. But if we go back to what the Bible says, you know, and what is told to us, you know, the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, taught people to know if their religion was fake and how to know if they had eternal life. You know, it's in First John 2, 4, 9, 1 John 3, 10, 14, and 15. So that's how mm-hmm. we can know and reassure ourselves is going back to reading Scripture, going back to reading what the Bible has to say, because everything that you're saying, you know, is just that. You know, we have to be able to have the knowledge and have the facts so that we can back up what it is we believe. Because I think that's one of the things that people get lost. You know, when we talk about, again, in Second Timothy 4, when it talks about there will be a, a time come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, mm-hmm. to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And, for, and so in order for us to discern against that, we have to have the factual basis and the foundation and the fundamentals of what the Bible says. And I think a lot of times we get away from that, and then we're easily swayed into some of these other kind of sideshow religions and beliefs and ideologies because we're not founded. We're not grounded. You know, there's many times I remember, especially back during college, and college is a time where people are discovery, you know, self-discovery, trying to find myself, going away from home for the first time. They've moved out. They're living on campus and all kinds of craziness. You know, I knew a lot of people coming from a, a Christian private school, high school, went to Berkeley, you know, Cal Berkeley, and they came back and they were now involved in the homosexual lifestyle Uh, a lot of other people you know would go off to college and they'd come back and they'd be in something else you know and they lost their foundation they lost that that biblical foundation that sanctified reason that would keep them you know to the core and yes we all Mm -hmm. sin we all do things bad but to to give up a lifestyle or to give over to a lifestyle that is of continual sin you know a lifestyle of sin you know it was just kind of surprising because i guess 
what they were taking in and maybe their foundation wasn't there. Like the, you know, the wise man who builds his house upon the, the rock versus the foolish man that builds his house upon the sand. We need to make sure that our foundation is solid so that when the storms come, those 90 mile an hour winds come hitting the rains come, we're going to stand firm. And the only way we can do that is having the factual foundation of what the Bible has to say, believing that, knowing that, because like John said, we have the knowledge to know that our religion is true mm-hmm. because it says so in the Bible and we just need to read okay. it and know it. That's right, son. And like you pointed out too, uh, a moment ago, um, John also, uh, you know, let people know if their religion was fake. Uh, for example, in first John four twenty, he writes, if anyone says I love God yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom, whom he has not seen. So, so that right there is a way that a person can know if their religion is fake. Um, now, now, what's interesting about that, Son, is, is that is, uh, you know, John is pointing someone there to their lifestyle to know if their religion is fake, which is interesting. So someone might say, well, then on the reverse side, shouldn't you look at your lifestyle to see if your religion is, is true or is authentic? Well, I mean, certainly there's going to be good fruit in your life if you're a Christian, but, but the way that you're going to know that you're saved and know Christianity is true is not going to be by your life because it will be up and down. It will be hit and miss. It's not going to be perfection. And, 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 you know, most people, if they say, I want to be certain of something, they want to have that perfect certainty, not, well, I kind of think so. And, and in order to get that, you, you, you can't look at your life and find that, you know, your, your, your life can give confirmation that, that you're saved, but it can't give you the certainty that you're saved. Now, on the other hand, your life can give you, uh, through the word of God, you know, that, that truth there, it can give you that certainty that you're lost. Um, if, if you hate others, um, but, but not on the reverse side of that, it's not as simple as saying, well, if somebody loves others, then, then they must be saved, right? Well, um, there are a lot of people who aren't saved, who, who love their family, who, who love other people, who act in very loving ways. Uh, so then we get back, well, what does it mean then to be saved? So you, you can't put the fruit in front of, of, of conversion. There has to be spiritual conversion. There has to be um, faith, um, you know, and, and, and we get that by believing the gospel, not by trying to do more stuff trying to do more good works, trying to do more religious stuff, trying to be more loving. Okay. That's not how we um, have the certainty of salvation. That's not how we get saved. Uh, we get saved by repenting and believing the good news. And, and that involves um, turning from sin, asking God to forgive us and looking to what he did on the cross for us uh, rather than looking inside. Now, once we're saved, um, there is going to be uh, an improvement. Uh, there's going to be um, the Lord within us. There's going to be growth. If there's not growth, then, then um, you know, for example, Paul wrote to some, some Christians in Corinth, and, 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 and he pointed to, um, to their quarreling and their jealousy as the indicators that they were not um, growing up in their faith. They were remaining spiritual infants. Now, they were still saved. Okay, Uh, but their quarreling and their jealousy were signs that they weren't mature in in the faith. It it didn't mean that um, that they weren't saved. I mean, Paul, Paul made it very clear. 
but but he also made it very clear they were not growing up in Christ. That is, they were not um, growing into spiritual maturity. Instead, they were remaining infants in Christ, and that's what Paul called them. Um, I mean, it, w- it wouldn't be much different if 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 a if a parent, for example, uh, uh, said to a teenager who was throwing a tantrum uh, in in their home, you know, you're acting just like a child, or you're acting like you did when you were two. You're you know you're throwing a temper tantrum. Um, you need to grow up. You know, that's not the way we respond to issues, um, the, the way you're responding to it. So that's, that's kind of what Paul was saying to, to the Christians. They were born again, saved, redeemed, justified, and forgiven. How? By looking outside themselves to what Jesus did for them on the cross. They trusted in that. And, and, um, you know, it, it wasn't about, um, you know, them looking to an inner witness. Uh, actually, in that case, Paul actually pointed them to, um, to an outer witness uh, as well as an inner witness in terms of their, their spiritual immaturity. He said, look at you, you know, you're, you're quarreling. Um, you're jealous, you know, so quarreling is an outer thing. Jealousy is an inner thing, but it's both something in your life that it's not coming from God. Those are basement room activities. Those are not spirit led Christ centered activities. Those are not things God ever, um, you know, uh, produces in his children. Um, that comes from us. But, but having said that, that just, ties in with what we said a moment ago, as Christians, we still have areas, obviously, where we need to grow, we need to have change, we need to say no to certain, you know, things that we're feeling um, about, you know, being drawn to certain desires or responding to people certain ways or thinking certain things or, you know, that that's a lifelong process. We call that sanctification. The Bible calls it that. Justification happens the moment you're saved on the front end, and justification is instantaneous. It's when you're converted, you know, and, and that's why, you know, the, the Bible says we have been justified through faith. We have been past tense. When did that happen? Whenever that, whenever an individual um, began trusting Christ for salvation, not his works, not the law, you know, but Christ. So, so these are all very, very important theological points. And, um, you know, that, that's why the article, you know, how to know, Christianity is true. Why I think it's it's important that we um, that we do just what you're doing, son, and that's you know leading people through a discussion on this important topic. Because as you say, we live in a world with all sorts of ideas floating around, all sorts of contradictory messages regarding COVID and masks and 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 quarantining and and you know all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's just gonna be chaos this year. I, I would think for schools. I mean, all sorts of different rules. I mean, different businesses. Um, you hear different things about, you know, masks and everything else. So with all of that confusion, that COVID confusion, I mean, the last thing we want to be confused about is the Christian faith, because now we're talking about matters of the soul, matters of eternity, matters of God, our creator, and, and Jesus, our redeemer, uh, you know, three persons in one God. They're all fully God. Uh, but Jesus is fully God and fully man. And, and, and so he, he took on that humanity uh, in order to be our savior, to suffer and die on the cross for our sins. And, and uh, just as Abraham uh, was willing to, at God's command, offer up his son Isaac uh, as, a, as a sacrifice, and God did not have him go through with it. But Abraham uh, was willing to do that because God called him to do it. Uh, but that was pointing to what God was going to do uh, when the father would send his only son, only in, this, in the case of our, our heavenly father in Jesus, or the, the son of God, um, 
the father did go through with it. Um, he, as hard as that was for the father, as hard as that was for Jesus, they went through with it because we needed a savior. So, um, if a person's looking for a place to bank their faith, to find confidence, to find salvation, and then the certainty that, that comes, um, from the word of God and the promises of God, then look to the cross. Um, look where Jesus died for you there. Believe that. Um, you know, as John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You can take that promise to the bank. You can hang on to that promise and, and it's going to, it's going to bring you to heaven. Um, you can then know that, 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 that you're saved and, and thereby you'll come to know that Christianity is true. But, but if you're looking for certainty that Christianity is true and you're not saved yet, and it's the whole point of my article, um, you're only going to have your own human reason, your own intellect, you're going to hit a ceiling and you won't be able to find the certainty you're looking for until you, you step over that line by faith and trust Christ as your savior. And then you'll get the anointing. Um, along with the forgiveness, of course, uh, of your sins, you'll get sanctified reason, and you will start to grow into a knowledge that you're saved. Not just a belief, a knowledge. And, and sometimes we even hear people say, well, you can't really know. All you can do is have faith. We don't really know that. Read the Bible and then experience it for yourself. Um, uh, excuse me. I mean, Paul knew. Paul knew, um, millions of Christians have known, you, my friend, can know, um, but first you need to be saved, uh, justified, born again, redeemed, and forgiven through faith in Christ alone. Dan Delzell, author of the article that we are talking about, How to Know Christianity is True. You can find it and many other articles on thechristianpost.com. Dan, as always, we thank you and appreciate your time, and we look forward to uh, many more conversations as God allows us. Oh, absolutely, son. I sure look forward to it as well. And thank you today for this opportunity and and just for the topic, um, you know, that, that we were able to discuss together. And I'll, I'll sure look forward to our next visit. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.